Hello and welcome to the JNM podcast. My name is Jeanette. Uh, this is a podcast where we talk about movies, TV shows, and anything in between. If you're listening for the first time, welcome. And if you're coming back, welcome back and hope you're doing well. Uh, before I get to any details, I would like to welcome back my guests and friend, and we used to work together on a set, Oscar Martinez. Thanks for having me back on my third time and for helping me like expose myself to more DPs and, and their work. So this time we saw Lion with, uh, from Greg Frazier, which, and I'm super glad we caught it. Yeah, for yeah. sure. Yeah. So we are continuing on with our Greg Frazier series with this 2016 biographical drama film, Lion. The film was directed by Garth Davis and written by Luke Davies. And the logline is an Indian boy becomes lost after falling asleep on a passenger train, causing him to become adopted by an Australian couple. 25 years later, the man uses Google Maps in hopes to find his way back. I received information from Wikipedia, IMDb, today, like the show, not like just today, <laughs> but... <laughs> uh, the Huffington Post and this website called History versus Hollywood. In terms of the cast, you have Dave Patel as Saru Bray Early. Bray Early, sorry. Uh, you may know him from Slumdog Millionaire, the UK version of the TV show Skins, The Newsroom, which is another TV show, and a recent film called The Green Knight. Have you yep. seen The Green Knight? I have okay. not. I, I know it's gotten like controversial or like it's 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 not so like not controversial, but like not either you like it or you don't, I guess. And then but someone I super respect and like super like their opinion, uh, who was like my high school teacher, like loved it. And and um, so I'm curious to check it out, too. But I haven't seen it. I do think Dave Patel was great in this movie. So I would just on that, like I would. I'd be interested in seeing Green Knight. Yeah. I know it has to do a lot with like medieval lore. Yeah. Right? Yeah. It's based on a medieval tale called Sir Gawain and the Green Knight. And mm -hmm. it's just kind of about like chivalry and just like what a knight should be and kind yes. of like a, this whole test of like what he was told to be. Um, yeah. Uh, next, we have Rooney Mara as Lucy. Uh, you may know her from A Nightmare on Elm Street, uh, which is a 2010 remake that probably not a lot of people saw. Mm -hmm. <laughs> next, we have the 2011 remake of The Girl with the Dragon Tattoo, and it is the uh, David Fincher film with uh, Daniel Craig. Next, you also have Carol and a movie that recently has been released called Nightmare Alley. Next, we have Nicole Kidman as Sue Brierly, who is Saru's adoptive mother. You may know her from The Killing of the Sacred Deer, Rabbit Hole, which is a film adaptation, The Others, To Die For, and Nine Perfect Strangers, which is a TV show, and Big Little Lies, which is another TV show. Uh, next, we have David Wenham as John Brierly, 
uh, Saru's adoptive father. Uh, you may know him from Moulin Rouge, which is a film adaptation, uh, and also uh, Lord of the Rings, the second and third film, and he plays Faramir. Hope, hope I got that right. <laughs> <laughs> It's like having a bunch of trolls be like, no, you you spoke you like pronounced that incorrectly. How dare you? <laughs> oh, I wouldn't piss off a troll. Yeah. Uh, next we have um Brianka Bose as Kamal Kamla uh Munchi, who is Saru's biological mother. Uh she doesn't have a lot of international or like American um, shows or films um, but she is known for this American TV show called The Wheel of Time which is that big like Amazon Prime uh, show that I think they're trying to make it into like Game of Thrones or Lord of the Rings you know uh, and then yeah I heard that <laughs> sorry my windows open oh no worries <laughs> okay. uh and then there are, are like three other actors that are in the film but either they're this is like the first film that they're doing or that you don't really know them in any like big roles so we have sunny power as young saru Bryle early next we have abhishek barrett as gudu khan who is Saru's biological brother, and Devian Ladwa as Mantaj Briarly, who is Saru's adopted brother. Mm-hmm. So in terms of the backstory, the film is based on Saru Briarly's memoir, A Long Way Home. He wrote the memoir with Larry Buttrose and published in 2013 in Australia. It was then re-released in 2014 internationally. And the movie was announced in April of 2013 and filming was originally going to be set in August of 2014. However, it was postponed until January 2015 in Kolkata, India, which is originally Calcutta. In mid-April, filming moved to Australia in Melbourne and then to several locations, including Tasmania and Hobart, which is another part of Tasmania. Uh, the film was developed by Australian producers Andrew Fraser and Shahen McCurtichian. They refused to change the Australian setting of the film to America and received a lot of rejections from American film production companies as a result. And they would eventually get picked up by the Weinstein Company, but I don't want to go any further past that in terms of the Weinstein. Uh, So by the time that the film is released, the producers have spent over four years on the film. And the film was originally going to have the same uh, title of the memoir, but they changed it to Lion. And director Garth Davis decided to unfurl the story as linear a way as possible is to avoid um, using flashbacks and using little dialogue in the first half of the film. And this was also his directorial debut uh, for a feature film. 
And in terms of the film's story, structure, and narrative, uh, producer Emil Sherman stated that uh, the more traditional structure would have the film start with Saru in Australia, with him thinking back um, of his childhood through flashbacks. And after discussion, they agreed to start the film in India with the retelling of Saru's childhood experience before jumping forward to Australia. And she said the audience can appreciate Saru's emotional pull back to his mother as a result. Do you know if do you know if they shot the film thinking that they would do it in that traditional structure? And then they once they had all the footage, they reshuffled it? Or or do you think from was do you know if from the get-go it was like I think uh, yeah, I think originally they were like thinking of doing. I think this was all like within pre-production mm-hmm. and like primarily like when they're writing the script. Mm-hmm. I think when they realized that they should flip the script to make it a little different compared to the traditional biographical, like, oh, I'm lost and I'm trying my find my way home films, mm-hmm. that I think they wanted to flip it. Um, because I think if they just left it as is, I feel that they may think that it wouldn't get as much notoriety than if like they, you know, flipped the script. Right. Uh, what about you? What did you, what do you think? About the structure? Yeah. Well, yeah. Like I, for me, like it was one of the things that I felt like was going to not make me like the movie as much was when the structure did happen to change like that where we jumped in time 20 years like in the middle and I think what it was was that uh, the first half of the movie felt a little bit more engaging because I was more focused on like just the survival element that the characters had to like deal with Um, so the stakes just felt like they kind of deflated a little bit which is weird to say but like after that half of the film like after the main character's life like quote unquote gets better like for me it felt like the film became a little bit less engaging but you know I think the ending of the film is what makes me really like this movie is is that the impact of when he is reunited with his mom like I feel like um you know was a good uh like uh payoff to the first half of the film but yeah I mean it still kind of threw me off a little bit just just because um, the structure did because because of the stakes that I I've just felt like they kind of felt different. Um, and then I think you mentioned you had a note about the pace too, like the pacing of them. Yeah, I mean, for me, I felt that the first half of the film went by really quickly because mm-hmm. I was so shocked that like within 30 minutes that it went from him like, you know, being introduced to then immediately like getting lost on the train and then trying to find his way home. Mm-hmm. Um, and then when it came to, like, I would say after he got adopted, and then it flash forward to 20 years later, I felt it was slow. Like, cause yep. it was just, it kind of felt like that they're like, okay, like from, from then on, it was just him trying to figure out where his, uh, his family is and you know because like he's using google earth 
and mm-hmm. a lot of technology it's hard to like really like have him like experience him going back because it wasn't just him just flying to india and then just trying to figure out what you know where mm-hmm. to go like he actually researched where his town was before going to india um so it kind of made like the pace a little slow yeah um but then it kind of returned to like the fast pace like when he is reunited with his mom and sister so yeah it's kind of weird and like i felt like the captions towards the end was a little weird because like there were some info especially with his brother his brother's death that they mentioned when he was getting reunited with his mom but then they also leave a caption that oh yeah like he died like on the night of you know his disappearance Mm -hmm. so it was it was a bit odd like I don't know I kind of felt like it would have been best if they just had someone explain like oh yeah we've you know he got hit by a train and so just saying like oh yeah he's he's like with god now Mm -hmm. Um. (laughs) wow yeah i mean that would have made made it hit different for sure (laughs) yeah because like i don't know it was just like an awkward moment because he's like where where's gouda where's gudu and Mm -hmm. Uh, his mom is like oh like he looks at the translator and he's like he's with god now and it's like okay like when like when did he meet god you know Mm -hmm. (laughs) Uh, yeah that was also a weird quote for me it actually did stand out for me too i was like wait like what i thought i thought there was is it the same like god god like the western yeah i I feel like that I think that like they probably have like a particular god that it you know focuses on kind of like Hades where it's Mm -hmm. like Hades is the one that deals with death and such so I think they also have a god yeah the translator uh just made it simplified and it's like oh yeah he's with like the god now you know he's with god Mm -hmm. so um it could probably just be like a loss in translation because he's like surrounded by people who don't know English mm. and he also doesn't know Hindi that oh, well because that makes sense yeah and then you have a translator who knows some English but isn't an expert you know because it kind of felt like that he just shows up like <laughs> yeah, also yeah. at the same time like I thought he was just like a random person that lived there not like his translator so i don't know yeah i think Uh, i think you're right yeah so google actually helped the production and gave the crew access to their satellite imagery to use in the film Uh, and what they did was that they provided them with imagery from the correct time period saru used and they also provide them technical support in order to shoot the scenes that feature Google in camera, saving the production like a shit ton of VFX budget. <laughs> and then like there was also like a fun fact about Google because when they heard about Saru's uh, story, they actually had him uh, be in one of their advertisements mm-hmm. where they're like look I use google maps to find uh, my actual biological mother and family and I use google maps for that <laughs> yeah. um, 
that felt a little bit like a commercial too yeah I, um when i was watching it a little bit but yeah i mean it just feels also grounded and realistic uh, there's yeah. that one shot i just want to say like there's that one shot of him he's like pulling out from planet earth like it's his location and then the program is zooming out from earth and you think it's gonna cut and it doesn't cut and it just keeps getting smaller and smaller and i'm like oh my god like this is really cool like that they i don't know it just added so much to that scene to 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 like i don't know to pull out that far and reveal like the entire planet earth and it, i don't know for, it carried a lot of weight i feel like yeah just, uh, seeing that imagery in that moment about this person being lost yeah especially for someone who like literally doesn't know where his town is mm-hmm. um uh, but yeah like i think like we just had to understand that at the time that this incident happened like google maps was just starting to come out like i think it was like mm-hmm. 2008 or something mm-hmm. so it was still new there, we also were using facebook <laughs> prior to like you know all the hatred and like negativity that facebook came with um it was like when it was like still baby bird and like i think we were also starting to use uh like spotify as well so like it was still a different time so just to let Mm -hmm. everyone know it was a different time we're not making fun of him using google maps and being mesmerized by this (laughs) no 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 not at all uh, so Dave Patel initial initial audition lasted for six hours, um, and there were concerns among the producers that he was too obvious of a choice for a lead role with Indian heritage, mm. and this concern also prevented Patel from possible roles like Life of Pi, um, because like you know when we when we think of uh, people like actors of Indian descent, we think of like Ben Kingsley, Dave Patel, and Aziz Ansari. Like we think of like just like three or four people. Right. Uh, so I could understand that. And I guess like that's kind of like the negativity of like being like someone like Dave Patel. Cause like yeah like you're an actor but also you're like one of the few indian actors that is you know has gone international mm-hmm. you know because a lot of like uh actors of indian descent like they usually just stick to indian acting mm-hmm. you know and it's the same thing for other cultures like hispanic and latin american actors they usually stick to mostly latin american yeah they always cast the same person and it feels like a token almost like a token yeah. actor yeah for sure yeah so and it, i think like it isn't until recently that we're starting to have a lot of uh international actors like doing mainstream media um mm-hmm. and i think it's like due to marvel and like star wars and you know all those like franchises so definitely uh, yeah i feel like it it's nice to see like more people that are varied like that, but you know, like more diverse people. But um, yeah, I did enjoy Dave, Dave Patel in this. Oh yeah. Yeah. I kind of, I really liked his um, look. 
Mm-hmm. Um, I felt that it, I felt like it immatured him because like whenever people think of Dave Pat- Patel, like we think of Slumdog Millionaire where he's mm-hmm. like this young kid with like short hair, you mm-hmm. know? So I'm really glad that they, that he did grow his beard and also got fit. Cause he also said that he attended, uh, the gym for several hours a day. Cause mm-hmm. I guess, cause the original Saru He's actually like like an athlete, like he's like a physical, like strong man. So I think Dave Dev uh, wanted to kind of match that. Yeah. Uh, and then he also developed an Australian accent with a Tasmanian yeah. dialect. So I thought that was pretty good. Congrats. <laughs> I know that was wild. Like it it sounded really spot on the whole time. Yeah, and it didn't sound like you could hear like his British accent coming in every now and then. Just so everyone knows, he is British. So like we're not. <laughs> mm-hmm. um, but yeah, he did a really good job. Uh, and then he also visited Saru's orphanage in India and took the train ride that Saru took when he was a young kid. So in total, he spent uh, about eight months preparing for this role. To internalize her character, Priyanka Bose met uh, Kamala Munshi, the mother of the character that was based on. And she stated that she could tell how hard her life has been since her son's disappearance. And she, Priyanka, stated that she got down on her knees and hugged and thanked her for her courage. And she also stated that Munshi... Uh, was declared crazy by many villagers for years as she never gave up on hope that her son would return one day. Mm-hmm. Like, I mean, that's like pretty like intense and like yeah. very sad that she had to deal with that. Yeah. And with Rooney uh, Mara, uh, her character is based on a combination of several of Saru's real life girlfriends who were with him during his search because like this search wasn't just like oh like this was like a two-year search it was a six-year long search to find this village mm-hmm. and Suru stated that after graduating from college and working on a website for his parents business he wanted to discover his roots while healing uh, from a bad breakup from a previous girlfriend uh, Sunny Pawar Uh, The actor who played the young um, Saru was unable to attend the U.S. premiere because his visa was denied uh, by Homeland Security. So the producers of the film had to make an appeal, which allowed not only Power to come, but also his father to be allowed to visit the U.S. for the premiere. Mm -hmm. And in Australia, the film had the biggest ever opening weekend for an Australian independent film. And it was also the fifth highest opening of all time in Australian film history. Right. That's uh, super good. I mean, I didn't even know, but Greg Frazier is Australian also. Yeah. So, yeah. Australia is... Uh, on my radar now <laughs> yeah sorry australia i didn't really care about you before yeah <laughs> just kidding just kidding <laughs> yeah 
we're too focused on like the little island of New Zealand. <laughs> yeah. No, we live in America. Come on. <laughs> uh, so despite uh, playing the lead character, Dev Patel was nominated for Best Supporting Actor at the Oscars. And this was due to the fact that he doesn't appear until nearly an hour into the film. And the studio felt that Patel might have a better chance at getting nominated for a supporting role. Uh, Yet some feel that the decision was category fraud. So aside from Best Supporting Actor, the film was nominated for Best Supporting Actress, Best Adapted Screenplay, Best Original Score, Best Picture, and Best Cinematography for Greg Frazier. Yeah. But it lost that year to um, uh, La La Land. La La Land, yeah. Yeah, the Swedish guy, Dan. <laughs> I know. <laughs> no, I mean, yeah. La La Land was also, you know, cinematography like was really strong in that film, also. So. Yeah, yeah. I mean, I to be honest, like I felt that it was an okay film. But compared to the other films, I felt that Moonlight was a little better. Mm-hmm. Um, mm-hmm. Yeah, but um, I'm not super crazy about yeah La La Land as 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 much as like yeah I'm not like the biggest fan of it. I enjoyed it, but like it wasn't my favorite. And and also honestly, like just based on the look, I think I like Lion better. But I haven't seen La La Land in, since it came out. Um, yeah, but. Uh, I just my taste I think is more with like uh for visuals like with uh what Lion was mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. yeah I mean for me if it was just between La La Land and Lion I would pick Lion because I felt that it was like uh like a better color because like I don't know like with La La Land it was a lot of like bright colors and it was more heavily like uh like being like crutch with the production design and like the the costume so I think that helped a lot but I think overall I didn't feel that the cinematography was that strong to get an award um however if like we put in Moonlight along with the other two I would pick Moonlight because I felt that that was like different I don't know because like because I think at the time um the Ari that like Ari light was coming out Mm -hmm. and so like you had like all these like cool colors that you can work with Mm -hmm. and Moonlight was working with that with like all these like pinks and like blues and purples and I really like the pink scene um so I think because of that I prefer that but that's because like I like colors and I like um, kind of like mood lighting mm-hmm. in a way. I still love Lion. And I think that it was really great that uh, Frazier got nominated for uh, his work. And I hope like he does get nominated again for Dune, in my opinion, because I yeah. thought that that was very beautiful with the oranges mm-hmm. and uh, but we could we could continue on <laughs> in like the Dune episode for that. <laughs> OK, yeah, I'm down. <laughs> uh, so in terms of the summary in 1986 Saru a five-year-old boy lives with his elder brother Gudu 
and his mother and younger sister in Kadwa, India. Now, Gudu and Saru jump on uh, one of the trains uh, to steal coal. And though one of the train workers spots them, the boy escape and trade the coal uh, for two bags of milk. And as they wait for their milk bags, Saru uh, spots jalebi being made. And it's kind of like a, like a pastry in a way. It's like fried pastry. And he asks Gudu if uh, they could get some. And though Gudu says no, he promises to give him as much as he wants once he strikes it rich. They return to their house where the mother makes food for them before heading out for work. And she's a laborer, so she's uh, someone who just like picks up rocks and moves rocks around. Um, she orders Gudu to watch the sibling while he, while like she goes out and works. However, he heads out uh, later that night, uh, seeking for possible work. And Saru uh, asks Gudu if he can come with, claiming that he could perform the work and after some demonstration because he he was like picking up like heavy buckets and like this bike uh gudu says okay like i'll allow you to come Mm -hmm. so they travel to a nearby train station but when they get off the train saru falls asleep and they have like he has difficulty staying awake uh, though Gudu is upset at Saru, he orders him to stay on the bench until he gets back. Uh, Saru follows orders and falls asleep, only to wake up with the station completely empty. And when I say completely empty, I mean like no one is in or mm-hmm. around the station. Mm-hmm. Um, he checks on a nearby train that is just somehow parked there um, with like all the uh, doors unlocked (laughs) anyone can go in and (laughs) (laughs) so he checks um, in there to see if Gudu is sleeping but he also finds it empty and then he takes a break in one of the compartments and wakes up with the train in motion and the doors locked he then pleads for help um, and no one comes and there is like a moment where the train passes through like this village and he sees like women and children like out in the fields and he's like crying like you know asking them for help but I don't know if it's because like he's a, in a different region that they don't speak Hindi mm. or that they just didn't want to help him out like I'm not sure it wasn't yeah. explained that well well, my takeaway was kind of like, well, he was reaching out to this other like young kid, you know, young looking kid who just kind of seemed to like live, live, you know, he was like him or they had very little means. So I was just like, in my mind, I was like, well, like, there's not much this other kid can do really. Like, yeah, it's just the situation is so like tragic almost. And that, you know, it it hurts to see this boy asking for help when like it's like the film is like showing like oh man like it's not very likely that anything can happen here like this is you know like um on it just like played to the tragic level of of the conflict so yeah because i think like even some of the women they were just like staring at him like on trying to figure out how in the world was he able to get in Mm -hmm. the train in the first place Mm -hmm. 
But I was also shocked that like none of the train workers like went through to check to make sure that no one is in like the compartments. Like, yeah, I don't know. Uh, so after several days, uh, Saru arrives in Calcutta where he does not understand the local Bengali language. So he has his a ticket counter to obtain um, a ticket um, home. But the attendant uh, does not recognize uh, the name of his village, uh, which Saru calls it Ganestale. Mm-hmm. Um, and they're like, what? Like, what is that? And even like uh, the ticket attendant is like, oh, like, I don't speak Hindi. Like, you know, we speak Bengali. Uh, he also upset some of the adults who treat him like a street rat like they just think that he's just like uh wasting their time so some like snap at him and he's trying to explain to them like he's lost but they don't know like hindi so it's kind of like you can understand his frustration at this point like he's frustrated that he wants to go back home like he's not doing this like just to make a joke about it like he's like no i want to go home like <laughs> and then everyone's like stop like you know like go away like i don't know it, it's it's like a lot of like emotions that a small kid like has to deal with because like just so you know like he's like five years old so it's like he's like trying to like get back home and then he's like a young kid so he's like trying his best to figure out what to say and like what to do in this situation mm-hmm. uh, he then walks around the underground tunnels where he um, hangs out with the other homeless kids and as they sleep in the middle of the night they're woken up and forced to run when a group of men tried to kidnap them uh, so after several attempts, uh, Saru makes it out with the help of a train station worker who feels like he is not paid enough for this job. So he's like, why bother even stop this kid? <laughs> mm-hmm. um, so he manages to get through one of the gates and then he just like keeps running until he gets to the, I think it's like the other side of uh, the bridge. <laughs> And then Saru uh, continues to wander around the city, gathering foods from temples. It's like in like those like uh, areas where they give food to uh, the gods or to a particular god. And he, he finds the food and he sneaks in because everyone's sleeping around him. So he takes like as much food as he can get. And he's like, I'm really sorry because <laughs> he does like a prayer. Um, so along the way he comes across this woman named Noor and Noor knows Hindi and understands that Saru is lost doesn't know where exactly his home is because he keeps saying is Ganal Ganal Stalte Gain Stale yeah like the last vowel he like switches or something is what yeah. it is right yeah, yeah. And so he's like, like, she's like, I don't know, you know, where your place is. So let me take back to uh, my apartment. And she does that. And she gets him food and like a pop soda, uh, which is kind of like their version of like Fanta. Uh, And the next day, uh, this man named Rama appears 
tells Saru that like, oh, like they'll help him find his way back home. But after Rama and Nor uh, have some alone time, Saru feels that Rama is not who he claims to be. Like he doesn't feel like that he's going to help him. So Nor comes into the kitchen and assures him that Rama is a good guy. But Saru makes a run for it uh, with Nor chasing him, but she, but he makes it out to the other side of the bridge. So after two months of being being homeless, Saru finds the spoon in like a landfill, along with a bag, and he he begins to sit outside of a restaurant, and he spots one of the guests like eating soup. So he mimics like eating soup with the guy and the guy notices him and uh, he takes him to this police station and hopes for some help. And though Saru tells him where he is, like he's from, like this town, but it's mispronounced. So they're like, yeah, we don't know that that city. Do you know like what region it is? And he's like, I don't know what region. And meanwhile, like the guy is like translating to him in Hindi uh, and then translating whatever he tells him in Bengali to the officer. So unable to trace his family, they uh, take a photo of him and they like create this like bile for him and take him to this orphanage. Uh, now, unfortunately, the orphanage is more of like a juvenile detention with kids being physically abused if they misbehave. And Saru befriends uh, one of the girls at the orphanage who warns him about the place because she tells him like, oh, like this isn't like a safe place to be. Like this isn't, this isn't what they make it seem to be. Uh, so one of the days he attends class with uh, one of the students beginning to bang his head against the wall. Though the, gu- the guards stop him, they do take him out um, of the sleeping quarters in the middle of the, of the night uh, to punish him. And three months later, Saru is introduced to Miss Mrs. Sood, uh, who tells him that she placed an ad about him in several local newspapers. However, no one has responded while Saru finds out that later that his mom cannot read and write because he doesn't know that his mom can't read or, or write. Mm-hmm. But when since he's like a young boy, he doesn't know. So he's like, mm-hmm. oh, okay, like, <laughs> <laughs> like, <Yeah>. thanks. <laughs> uh, but uh, the woman mentions that there's an Australian couple interested in adopting him. And at first, he is hesitant, uh, feeling like his mom will find him, like, soon. But the girl after orphanage promises that his life will be better if, you know, he goes and gets adopted by this Australian couple. So soon, uh, Mrs. Sood uh, takes him to live with her for a couple of days while she teaches him a few English words and basic etiquette. Uh, then he get, he flies to Hubbard, uh, Tasmania in 1987 with one of Mrs. Sood's employees. Uh, he then meets Sue and John Briarly, who bring him a stuffed koala. 
and um like they're really excited to like be parents now like they're like you know allowing him to like you know look through the house and you know to kind of play cricket among other things um and he he becomes adjusted to the new living situation uh and then one year later uh sue and john adopt another boy from india named mantosh however mantosh has trouble adjusting to his new home and suffers from rage and self-harm uh where he would try to hit himself in the head and later that night on the first uh, day Mantosh is at the house. Sue sits in the tape in the dining room with a glass of wine, uh, crying. And Saru enters from the hallway, concerned. Uh, Sue tells uh, Saru that she is all right as Saru comforts her. And then it cuts to 20 years later. Uh, Saru, who is now a young adult, uh, breaks through the water surface as he takes a swim in the ocean. Uh, he then attends a lunch uh, session with John and Sue as they celebrate uh, Saru on his new chapter in life as he heads to Melbourne to study hotel management. And while they talk, the waiter asks um, if he should clear out the dishes for the fourth chair. Though Saru says yes, Sue asks um, the waiter to leave the silverware, hoping that Mantosh will come. And after lunch, Saru heads to Mantosh, uh, Tosh's place, and lectures him about their mother being upset and the fact that she's she, did, she didn't like that he failed to show up. And Mantosh states that he doesn't like being with them and argues that Saru should understand, knowing that John and Sue aren't their real parents. So it's kind of like really interesting because the complete opposite, because Saru had like a great time. Like he's kind of like the, the better half, while Mantosh is dealing with mental illness and just kind of like understanding that this isn't really his parents. I don't know. What did you think? Yeah, I mean, I thought, uh, like, at first I was like, well, they were, they took some liberties with, like, switching some parts of the real person's life. But I think they kept um, his older brother, his new adopted brother in it because, like, it was a way to mirror his or his first brother that he lost and that he misses. And it goes back to, for me, like, at first when I did see, like, the differences between the two adopted sons i i the question was like okay why would why would this family do this but it goes back to what nicole kidman's character said at the end the mom she says uh um that it was her their choice to not have kids even though they could have kids they were able to have kids um but and that they wanted to you know give some of some other kids that were already born and and parentless a chance you know in the world or just like the ability to have a better life so for me like that's that's kind of like a nice you know they're just crafting a, a good character with with her character um with the parents the adoptive parents i feel like with those moves 
Yeah, I kind of felt that it was interesting that that they had like two adopted kids who experienced completely, who had like completely different experiences. But I'm really glad that they didn't like just return Mantosh, like, yeah, because <laughs> I would sad to be like, really, like he, because like he didn't like fit your like ideal of like a perfect child, like, you know. But I was really glad that they tried to like. Uh, fight through it and to try to help him because you could tell like both like John and Sue like they love like both the kids and want both of them to you know participate in as much like family activity as possible Mm -hmm. but I think it's just like kind of like that weird struggle that uh that some people with mental illness just you know want to be left alone uh, especially for Mantosh, who deals with rage and self-harm. And who knows, like maybe he had like a harsher experience uh, growing up than Saru, you know. Mm-hmm. Um, for me, for, for me, Mantosh was redeemed like totally pretty much when they, he asked him like, you hurt mom by like leaving her and like and not going back to her it's like you don't care and, and he responds like mentosh responds like, i do care that's why i'm not there or like you know i you yeah. know so for me i was like oh like this character is has still does love his parents it's just that you know this is their way of dealing with with those emotions yeah and behavior yeah i agree uh, during the first, uh, his first class, uh, Saru meets a woman named Lucy, who is an American student. I'm assuming she's studying abroad or just doing like quick like a uh, degree in Australia. And the t- two begin to like each other. Uh, they attend another class together uh, where the teacher asks Saru where he is from. And though he states that he is uh, from Australia, he does mention that he's actually from Calcutta. But when like another Indian student uh, mentions that he has relatives there and he asks him what part of Calcutta, uh, Saru corrects himself saying that he's Australian. And it's kind of like an awkward moment uh, before Lucy brings up that, oh, you you must love cricket too. And then they were like, oh, who do you like, Australia or India? And he was Mm. like, no, Australia all the way. So at least like it didn't make like an awkward situation, you know. And then Saru walks along a street and spots Lucy uh, walking at the same pace with him across uh, the street. And Lucy acts goofy around him, causing him to loosen up. And it is revealed that both of them were going to the same party with one of the Indian classmates. And while at the party, Saru becomes uneasy because the party has like Indian food and Indian culture. It has like a video being played of like showing like the city, like one of the cities and just like the life of that city. And also like at a kit because he was just like taking just the food and then putting it in his mouth without using the non bread. <laughs> mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Um, so after dinner, Saru grabs a couple of beers from the fridge. And while there in the kitchen, he spots a plate of jalebi, uh, causing him to remember his brother 
and then he this is where he becomes uh motionless and he just like stares at this plate and then lucy and i think another guest go to the kitchen to check on him and when lucy touches his his back suru then snaps out of it and then uh later that night uh suru tells his classmates that he's not actually from calcutta and it's more of that he's been lost for more than 20 years uh so one of the classmates mentions that there's a new device called google earth and he thinks that the (laughs) the device can help him find where his hometown is in India. And though one of the classmates warns that India is too vast, some argue that it can work if he does this like math equation with the speed of the train times the amount of time he was on the train to narrow down the radius. And uh, Saru decides to take up Uh, the advice after some hesitation because there are moments where you see him like opening the laptop and you know typing in google earth and looking at india but then he doesn't do it and then slowly but surely he does like delve into it however this causes his relationship with lucy to wither and during like another party, I'm assuming months later, uh, they get into an argument where he states that he is overwhelmed by the thought of emotions his family must have gone through when he went missing. Because like he was also like uh, accusing uh, Lucy of just like making it seem like, oh, like this is this is Australia. This is like happy ties. We should be happy. But he's trying to tell her like, no, like you don't understand like my situation. Um, Like I'm just so overwhelmed that I can't like live my life, you know? Mm -hmm. Uh, There was also a moment where they reveal a time uh, Saru was hit by an oncoming motorcycle while he was carrying a big watermelon. That fucking scared the shit out of me. It came out of nowhere. Like I gasp at that moment. <laughs> Me too. Cause they do it with CG, I think, or I don't know how they do it, but it's like close up of him. And then all of a sudden the motorcycle yeah. comes across his frame super fast. You don't even, it's like, yeah, it looks, it looks, it looks pretty gruesome. <laughs> I mean, he didn't like bleed that bad, but he did get like an indent as a result. Yeah. Uh, so yeah. And then it it shows him like rushing back to his mom to mend his head. Uh, when Goody returns to the house, there is a moment where the mom lectures Goody for not watching him. Um, so soon, Saru quits his job. What job? I don't know. Like <laughs> they don't they don't bring it up. And yeah. Lucy, oh sorry, Lucy moves out of the apartment. And one day, uh, John wakes up Saru with a knock at the door. And thinking that Saru uh, will not open the door, he mentions that Mantosh disappeared into another episode of his antics. I think he said that he was going on a lobster trip or something. Like on a boat or something, yeah. Yeah, for like a couple of days. Yeah. Uh, so this was making Sue upset. Um 
He also mentions that Sue is not doing well and advises Saru to come visit her and talk to her. He Saru falls back to sleep and wakes up to find Sue next to him. Like she's like sitting on a chair and then he's like lying down in one of like the air mattresses on the floor. Mm-hmm. Uh, so Saru apologizes to Sue that she was infertile. And this is where like we find out that no, she's not infertile. She could have kids, but she chose not to, um, claiming that there were too many people and that she wanted to help people um, like get a second chance in life, like you said. So once that happens, Saru like makes up with his mom and then he also uh, recon- rekindles the relationship with Lucy and takes her to a dinner with his family. However, Saru uh, upsets Mantosh after he makes a comment about his antics causing Mantosh to rage again and self-harm himself. Mantosh heads to his room before John lectures Saru, uh, claiming that, oh, it's his fault that he's, like, acting like this. Saru continues searching on Google Maps, but becomes frustrated by the fact that his research isn't leading anywhere. And there's Mm kind of, like, a moment where you see, like, this, like, huge like map that has like so many pins of different colors like some of them are blue some of them are yellow some of them are orange and there was like one time that he just like rips up the pins that were like on his wall out of frustration and one night he decides to venture out of the pinned areas and notice this rock formation where his mother worked as a laborer Uh, Soon he finds the river and another place he remembers before spotting the train station that he last saw Gudu. Then uh, he follows the train line uh, before landing on a town called Ganesh (laughs) Talai. So he finds out that he was mispronouncing it this entire time. And then he realized uh, he kind of understands like why like people didn't understand like what he was saying. Mm-hmm. Uh, so he continues to look with tears in his eyes and finds his mom's house. Uh, Lucy encourages Saru to tell his mom about the research, claiming that she will support him. And then after some time, he reveals to his mother, uh, Sue, about the research, causing her to fully support him. And then months later, uh, Suru arrives at his hometown in India to find the house. However, he discovers that it's like kind of um, uh, lived in by a bunch of goats. It's like a goat farm. So out of frustration, he punches uh, one of the walls, but puts himself together when he catches the, uh, the new owner. And he tries to tell the woman that used to live here, but she doesn't speak English. And then this like middle-aged man just pops out (laughs) of nowhere. And then he's like asking, it's like, oh, what's wrong? And Saru like takes out this photo of a younger self and states that his mom used to live here. 
And then the guy, he just looks at the photo, looks at him, gives back the photo, and just walks away. <laughs> and then, like, Saru's like, should I follow him? <laughs> like, he doesn't mention or, like, doesn't gesture him. It wasn't until, I think, like, they were walking, like, further down, like, the aisle or something that the man finally was like, okay, come, come, follow me like, yeah. <laughs> this way. Yeah. He follows a man and the two walk into this area until the man shows Saru's biological mother and sister who are alive and well. The residents like kind of gather up in this area, just watching like this unfold as they see Saru and Kamala hugging and crying together. Uh, she's like super like like relieved that he's alive and he's well and then he asks his mother where gudu is but the man like it's kind of like an awkward pause and then they look at the guy and the guy is like oh he's with god now mm-hmm. <laughs> so it doesn't explain in the uh captions at the end but I found like information that uh, Saru's mother explains to him that Gudu's body uh, was found a month after Saru disappeared and his body was discovered on the train tracks uh, with his arm uh, severed and one of his eyes missing. It is believed that he died the night Saru disappeared, but is it is unknown of how he died. Uh, yeah. Some people think that he got pushed off the train uh, while, while others felt that he fell off and just got run over by the train. Yeah, so uh, Saru then calls his mom and dad, John and Sue, via like a recording saying like, hey, like I'm okay. Um, I found my mom. And he thanks him like, you know, like I understand that I found my biological mom, but it doesn't mean that you know, you guys are not my parents anymore. Mm-hmm. Um, and then it goes into like captions where it mentions that his uh, mother, Kamla, never gave up hope and stayed in the village, believing that Saru will return one day. And then the film cuts to photos of the real Saru and a video of Saru and his real adoptive mother sue meeting kamla for the first time and they're like hugging together like as a family and it is noted that kamla uh deeply appreciates sue's care for his son and then uh is later noted that saru learned that he had been mispronouncing his own name for all those years uh it's actually called uh sharu uh, mm-hmm. which means lion which is some title of the film yeah and yeah that's that's the end of the film <laughs> <laughs> it's uh, a so cool yeah. title though yeah. Uh, yeah i i enjoyed the movie overall for sure i yeah. i think it like really hit hit the heartstrings when at the end with the them reuniting and just like the build-up to it um like especially after it seeming like he he wasn't gonna find his mom and brother because their house was different it was a farm now but like just all just the shots of like um him walking up with like this crowd of men behind him and then 
And then the way they shoot her walk, the mom walking up, it's like, it's not very clear. It's like, it's a long shot. It's a full mm-hmm. body. You can't even tell so, so much who that is really, because it's so far, you can barely make out a face. And I think it just like really puts you in, in the shoes of, uh, of uh, Sheru. <laughs> yeah. And like how he would experience that, like, is who like you know with a little bit of intrigue a little bit of mystery at first and as they get closer they start to kind of like you know you see her and and I think they did a good job in casting like I feel like the young Sheru and the and and Dave Patel like look pretty similar and the mom you know it's the same actress but her hair is gray so it's like there's ambiguity you know it just feels very realistic the way the whole scene plays out and like and it just hit really, I think it like emotionally hit exactly what it needed to. Yeah. Yeah, I agree too. I really, I remember uh, seeing the moment where he meets his mom. I, I thought for a moment that they were covering her and that like it would be revealed with someone like stepping out of the way. But no, it's like her like coming, but we don't see it mm-hmm. until she gets closer. Mm -hmm. Uh, so I felt that that was a really good uh, shot too I think overall I felt like it's a good film in terms of just like the emotions that you go through because like in the beginning you feel sorry for this kid like having to deal with like all this stuff happening um, at such a young age and then to try like the frustration to try to like try his you know to tell people that he needs to go back to uh, his hometown um, with people either not understanding his language or not understanding what type of town he's talking about. Because again, he was mispronouncing the town and he was also mispronouncing his name. So they probably misspelled his name as a result. Mm -hmm. And like, yeah, I think like uh, the end did a good job like making people cry because like I also cried too I cried (laughs) (laughs) certainly cried yeah uh because like it was like you know all this like work and like you know him surviving while also trying to look for his parent his mom like via google maps like yeah it it was like well worth like the wait basically yeah I think so too. Again, like I felt like the middle part wasn't as engaging for me. Like after the 20 year time jump um, and like, yeah. Yeah. Like the girl, the love interest part of the story too, like made sense, but it also seemed um, like that part of the story also seemed a little bit um like out of nowhere like I was just kind of guessing where the movie was going to go from there in a way like yeah um, yeah it just didn't feel like the stakes were as high as in in the beginning but the cinematography from start to finish I think was definitely enjoyable and engaging I mean I guess maybe I also felt like once we moved to Australia the cinematography was also like had less opportunities to be so gritty and dark um Mm -hmm. so it made me miss that kind of look also a little bit because I thought that look just fit so well and like telling a dramatic story. And like, I noticed more than in most films, I think like the shadows and the, the shaping of light, like 
um, how the light fall off was on people's faces and on the background. Like, again, Greg Frazier, like really shows like one of his strengths is shaping the light and like creating shadows that are very focused, like focus your vision to what to see. Like there were a good number of close-ups and shots like that, that I noticed that like had varying levels of light on the face where like, it was only like a pocket of light on part of the face or like he's sitting by a, the train window. And so like the top half of his face is lit up, but the bottom half is in darkness. And there's just a lot of shots like that, like those that really, you know, leave a mark or left a mark for me. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Yeah, I agree. Um, I felt that most of the shots that I liked were in the first half of the film because I mm-hmm. did like that whole uh, grittiness and just like the, like you were saying, the shadows. Uh, I kind of felt that the last half was okay because again, like it, you, you know, you're dealing with like a slower pace. Um, you're also dealing with like trying to make him look like he's looking up Google Earth without making it seem boring. Yeah. And I understand that they they wanted to add in the love interest as a way to just like add like another layer to you know the story, but I kind of felt that at times it felt like it didn't need to be there. Mm-hmm. Um I think it would have been best to maybe just have the focus more on the relationship with his mom and like Sue and maybe his dad, John. But yeah, like I, I think um, going into the shots that I like, one of the shots I liked was when Saru is like standing on one of the pillars in Calcutta, like at this train station. And he's like screaming for help while you have like the sea of people just like walking by, ignoring him. I felt that that was a really good uh, shot because you have like the light coming on the right side and that's like your only light source. Um, Mm -hmm. Like you're not getting light source from another side of it. So you Mm -hmm. just have this like shadow. I did see an interview also with Greg Frazier for this. And he did say that for India, everything they shot in India, they had the tiniest package ever. They had like, three led lights and that's basically all they used for for everything in india and and anything that was like wide or like you know would have required a lot of lighting they just made sure they chose locations that had already like really good natural light is what he said so which is insane because to me it also the first half of the movie looks so intense and like crafted and 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 uh shaped that it's, I mean, but I can also see it, you know, like, cause that's what makes you be- become a little bit more creative sometimes is when you have limited gears, you, you find different ways to like bounce the light and make, make the most out of it. And, you know, you play with shadows a bit more, you know, because you don't have enough light sometimes. So, you know, it's interesting that they did so well with so little. And like, um, like the shot, like does pay off. Because it makes sense, like, you know, like, they technically couldn't, like, add, like, a lot of lighting gear because, like, Mm -hmm. they're having to deal with, like, you know, the public traffic 
and not interfering with like any schedules or conflicts so it kind of felt like that they just shot that like just really quickly so then they can move on and yeah like I, I felt like that it was I don't know it's like kind of like it felt like one of those um like photography from um the lady that did the great depression photography mm-hmm. it kind of felt like that where it's like you have totally. like this this person that's like crying for help meanwhile everyone's just like kind of just going about their day like totally. it, it really felt like that i would say the only one that i liked um from the last half of the film was like the close-up of Saru looking at the Google Maps and like you see like him like watering and like tears in his eyes and like you said like it you could still see like shadow on his left side and I really I really liked uh how Greg uh lit the characters particularly the uh people of Indian descent because like in the past like a lot of uh, cinematographers whenever they have a person of color particularly if they have darker skin they always just like like them like a lot mm-hmm. like very bright and it's probably because like you know they're either sitting next to someone who is of like Caucasian descent mm-hmm. so it's kind of like that weird lighting problem that you would have to deal with right. but I think he did a really good job because like you can still see his face you could you could still like see the lights on it while not overpowering it mm-hmm. and not making his uh, skin look too bright mm-hmm. and awkward. So I really like this um, imagery. Uh, and then the third one uh, that I picked was uh, Saru, the younger version, uh, screaming in the train when he's like asking you know pleading for help help and everything it is like interesting because like it is it has like a lot of shadows but you still see some light in it um and then it's just kind of like the like um the background uh the way it's shot because you have all the structure and just like a very monotone design and monotone coloring but it still has like structure it still has like a t you know uh pose and you know what i mean yeah yeah i mean the more shapes that you see in frame like i think every you know there's like those seven visual elements of of cinematography or you know like you could break it down in that way where like shape is, is one of those elements that tells a story too and how you use different shapes in your frames. Um, I noticed a lot like this film is, it flows so well. Like it flows so from shot to shot, like the coverage is so connected and like there are shots where like you, you have a wide that's like you see the character moving from right to left and it's static and the next shot's handheld, but it, it still works because there's like a movement also from right to left, like with that, with the characters. So like, I don't know if, if that's something they necessarily like consciously pay attention to and be like, okay, we're going to cut from this shot to this shot, but we need a connecting factor that helps smoothen out the transition. So like, you know, a little bit of movement here or 
there was also another instance it's when he like gets off the train for the first time i think and and it's like a wide shot and like it's a static, but it's like you see the crowd of people in the station. It's crowded and they're all moving around. So it's like the bottom half of the frame is hectic. But you see him like climb this thing and he's looking from this, you know, from from a higher vantage point. So he really stands out in this crowd of people. But that shot's like a static shot where every other shot in that scene is like very handheld, but it connects and it works because like there's just so much movement from the crowd that like the same sort of kinetic energy is still felt um, like it's just seamless. Like every single shot like works together, which is, you know, something that I try to do in my work. And, and I'm always like fascinated when people do it and, and it's just so seamless like that. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. Like, um, yeah. Like going with like the handheld, I think that it is really good because like you, it almost like put like the viewer in like the moment like because mm-hmm. it is chaotic is like him like running or like trying to get through like a crowd of people like it's like chaotic and yet you still have like the layers of like these static shots where it just pans left or right or just kind of like there's like a dolly track mm-hmm. uh, where it's like okay like at least it kind of felt like that it's just like uh letting the viewers know that okay like it's stable right now like even though it's still chaotic it's it is stable Mm -hmm. but yeah like I I don't know I think like Greg does a really good job with like natural lights because like like I said with uh, Foxcatcher like he he did a really good job with the natural lights uh even though like they're in like this like small like room that may have like some windows but they're not big enough to let a lot of light in like I think he does a really good job with that and he does a good job like having uh most of his lights look very natural and not look fake you know what I mean like if it's it doesn't seem like okay like a 10k is beaming at this person right it's supernatural yeah he's he's mentioned in in an interview that for this one like he didn't really pull any lights out ever on any exterior shots like that were during the day anyways like during the day yeah like he very rarely ever like lights with units and more so just uses what's already there and, and uh shapes it um yeah so yeah i mean it must have been a pain in the butt to shoot i imagine like and also for scenes that have like those frenetic like chaotic moments like you said at the beginning like part of that is there's so much coverage like they're using like five different angles almost of the same action to kind of like you know make it feel more chaotic so i'm just wondering like how they can just schedule that and like work that into their schedule, especially working with a kid, you know, you know, they, they can't work a full day with and like at night also, and like shutting down these locations too, like, um, you know, and, and not having that much equipment and all that. It's, you know, it's very, it's very cool or it's just very like impressive knowing what goes into it. Like, 
how, how they got all the shots they needed. Cause that's something that's always a battle for me. It's like making sure there's enough time for like coverage and making sure, you know, like shooting a scene in a way that's not just like a wide medium and close, you know, and just like getting, getting shots that build and momentum and, and, and all that. So. Yeah. Oh, what, what were some of the other uh, shots that you liked? There's uh, in the beginning. Yeah. There's um, that wide of him going into that, like the rocks, the hills, like where his mom works. And there's like all of these butterflies, like, you know, that was so surreal too. And it just a really, there's a lot of shots like this basically, but like, it's an insanely wide shot, like a crazy wide shot. That's like perfectly backlit where like the hills are like perfectly backlit. The butterflies are catching the light and like, you know, like really pinging in the frame. So there are a lot of like, just, visuals that are that are iconic i feel and like you know just stand alone on their own that you could just admire as a picture almost and and there are a ton of wides in the movie i feel like like every wide is a banger <laughs> like it, it, they look so good and oh yeah um, like the one you shared with me of him running at night in that little like bridge with the with that those rows of like there's like 50 lights in frame and it's just like the overhead lighting like you just see down the line of them and it's just this epic wide shot like yeah and and he does that a lot in this film too where like he frames it so that the main character or the characters are tiny they're tiny in the frame and i i love that too though because like in the end he does that too where i think after he when uh when he's found he's like walking on the train tracks uh and um, there's like a wide and it just kind of like is a good shot to like let you think about everything you've just seen and consider the epicness of this person's journey and and the weight of of it too and like finding your way back home like something about a wide shot like that where you just make a person super tiny in the frame like I don't know there it's it just makes me think a lot about like humans in living in our universe and you know like the human experience yeah and like and just kind of like how like you know he's like this one person among like what like eight billion people Mm -hmm. with like most of them in india yeah like um (laughs) it's so no offense i'm just you know it's the facts (laughs) totally yeah totally one of the most populated places yeah. And I would also wonder if when he was in considered to for the role of working on Dune, that if they saw this film, because there are some shots like the shot that you were just describing mm-hmm. about him running uh, across the bridge. Like mm-hmm. it does feel like a like a shot that would be in Dune. Yeah. You know, because it does have that orange like um, tungsten lighting and it's like also gritty and just has like shadows, but it has enough light to kind of uh, show like what we are looking at, show mm-hmm. the object and the person. Uh, so who knows? Maybe, maybe he got, maybe he got it because of this film. Who knows? I think so. I, I, cause that's exactly what I thought when I saw Dune before I saw Lion was like, there's a lot of shots in this movie that are unapologetically epic. Like, like shots that like 
cost a lot of money to get clearly but they still go for it and like it just adds to the wonder and realism like in dune there's those shots of like one of my, a cool shot that i i really like from movies when they're landing on on the planet uh and it's just like it's like you're looking out the window of the plane and you're just seeing down and it's like you're seeing the land pass below you and that's how like how kind of how they introduced the 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 city i think maybe like just the first time they the main characters land like you know like a shot like that does so much to like show you like oh how epic everything is but it's like you know it's this grand epic shot that probably cost them so much money to render all the cg and everything because it's like a 40 second shot of just their ship landing like and it's the view of the ground so yeah so and i think similarly in this movie like they they don't hold back they like you're tight in a scene but then all all of a sudden you cut super wide and like it still works but you know you just you just can tell that it's unapologetically epic too so mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. yeah totally agree uh, do, do you have any other uh, comments or just anything else that you want to talk about? I'm trying to think. I um, um, think I hit most of everything that I wanted to talk about. There was one other visual that I super liked. Um, it was, it was uh, also part of the sequence of him getting lost. And it's kind of like one of those shots where it's all like an empty black frame basically, except for the character. And for me, I've been in scenarios where I've had to, where I've done that sort of shot or we're shooting in a dark void and there's a character in a dark void. And the, the question is always like how to make this interesting, you know, cause it's, it's one object in an empty space. So like, how do you make that look interesting? And, and Fraser like knocks it out of the park and, and, in this one where they just like it's mostly backlighting so it's like you know it gives uh saru sarun i think what was it saru 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 yeah like backlights him but also like some of it like comes over a little bit so you can kind of see the shape of his eyebrow and his cheek and his nose so it's like you know, it's not just like, okay, we're going to light a person and so they're lit and the background's totally dark. No, it's like still with the limited options you have, you still use the, the whole human features and all that to create shadow and intrigue and interest. Um, so, you know, that was really cool. So next time I do a, a, a void shot or anything like that, I'll definitely paint try to do something more in that fashion if if it works for the script because in the past you know i've just kind of lit it uh so it's a little bit more visible but it's not as interesting in a way you know and greg Fraser's not afraid to to use darkness to to like light people which is which is like a good lesson for any cinematographer i feel like you know you can shoot a whole scene in silhouette and it could still you know carry a lot of human emotion even though you don't you might not necessarily see the face super well or or whatever yeah i totally agree like i (laughs) I feel like that uh greg fraser along with like other famous cinematographers 
like I think they do like you know prove to people like hey you could still like shoot like scenes like in the dark like it doesn't have to be like well lit like you know this character doesn't always have to have like like a 10k on his or her face like you know you could like create shadows and create shape within the frame even though like maybe the the film's a comedy I don't know like you know just it doesn't always have to be like a a one two step type of thing Mm -hmm. um so yeah I completely agree and I hope that like uh cinematographers like Greg Frazier you know influence people and upcoming cinematographers and not only just cinematographers but also just directors and writers that hey you can you can go above and beyond in your mm-hmm. shots totally yeah I'm, I'm hoping he does get nominated and, and win something at some point here because you know we still have the batman coming out and yeah dune i think he, he killed it so I'm, yeah. I'm looking forward to those movies for sure to batman so yeah yeah i saw dune and i really liked it um i really liked the color that he used yeah and i also can't wait for batman i know that they told us that it's going to be the longest batman film ever at this point which i'm like i am ready for that (laughs) yeah right i'm that's the thing like if if even if the spider-man movie that just came out was three hours long i would watch all of that too like yeah yes give me that yeah yeah i watched the recent um spider-man and i thought that was pretty cool yeah i i'm such a big fan if i was i like couldn't love it but i i do enjoy it a lot too (laughs) yeah yeah it's completely understand Uh, so yeah I think that is it for this episode uh, you can follow us on Instagram at J-A-N-D-M underscore podcast Oscar uh, do you have anything thanks thanks for having me on uh, I look forward to the next one yeah so if you like this episode uh, please write and review us on Apple Podcasts and thank you again hopefully in the next episode we may do Dune if not Batman who knows that would be great yeah (laughs) uh but yeah thank you again and hope you come back next week bye